0: Welcome back to another podcast in our Oliver Growth series, the changing nature of business today and where future growth will come from. I'm your host, Sharon Whale, CEO of Global Markets and Operations at Oliver. And today my guests are my colleague and boss, Simon Martin, the founder of Oliver, our Grand Fromage and Chief Exec. Hello, Simon. Hello, Sharon. But far more importantly, we have with us today Ranilla Ravi Bursalam, Director of Distribution, Workplace Savings and Retirement at Aviva. Ranilla is a FTSE 100 leader with an enviable record of championing and driving change in the financial services sector. She's best recognised for implementing and driving customer-focused growth strategies to significantly uplift profitability of businesses and shareholder returns. Her passion for finance stems from a belief that the institutions that manage or provide finance can positively impact people's lives if they do it well. Her focus has always been on making people's lives better. As such, she fundamentally believes that finance needs to change and it's her ambition to be the driver behind this change. So Manila and Simon, you've known each other for quite a while. Simon was a director at Viva some 15 odd years ago, maybe more, before pioneering the in-house marketing model, and you've recently transformed Viva's entire SME business model. So the question to the both of you is, you know, what is it about modernising traditional sectors to drive growth in particular that gets you two out of bed in the morning? I must say, obviously, different beds in different parts of the world. But what, <laughs> what is it what that, is is it is that gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: That is true. Well, we both we both actually started our journey together at revolutionising a traditional model at a big charity in the noughties where Ranilla was a, a leader. And we uh, I was our first client, actually, and we sought to re-engineer and refocus with much more agility and scale and speed. How the Marketing Communications are Executed by RNID, Royal National Institute of Deaf People, I think is correct. That's where we first met, wasn't it, Ranilla?
2: Well, very, very long time ago, and it's actually called Action on Hearing Loss now, but you're right, it was about completely modernising and changing the execution model for marketing.
1: And before that, because obviously I worked at Aviva up until 2001 from I think about 1985, a long career there and um, you are now subsequently with Aviva and you know all big businesses are complex businesses aren't they and keeping up with market dynamics and change and the changing habits of people and needs is uh, an ever-present need and demand for all businesses isn't it but even more complex in large corporations and particularly insurance businesses I think.
2: Yeah it is and I, I guess to pick up on your question about what kind of gets me out of bed and gets me energised about modernising and reshaping, shall we say, business models. Actually, for me, it comes back down to the customer. And it's less about reshaping the business model itself that gets me excited. It's about actually evolving a business model to better meet the needs of customers that have changed over time, but the business model hasn't adapted or shifted to keep pace with changing customer needs that gets me out of bed in the morning. And the fact that it happens to require restructuring or reorganisation or re-engineering is kind of, it's the input, it's not the outcome. The outcome is what drives me.
0: So it comes up, you know, when we talk about growth with all of our clients, that it's about putting the customer the heart of the business and making sure we're doing what's right for the customer. Now, what would you say have been the biggest changes in your customer needs over the last, however long, 12 months, you know, what are you seeing moving forward? I mean, you talk quite eloquently about the workplace of the future and, you know, what, what are you seeing that's pushing you to
2: change at the moment? Lots of things, actually. I think workplaces, well, the way we work, (laughs) where we work, particularly post-COVID, how we work, all of those have changed phenomenally, right? And COVID, in a bizarre way, has accelerated and modernised the thinking and culture in lots of workplaces, because I know from my current role in workplace savings and retirement, which is quite a traditional end of the financial services market. I mean, the thought of a client being happy with a virtual meeting and you not having to traipse off to wherever in the middle of nowhere to their offices to meet with them would have just not happened. I mean, the pace of change that COVID has brought is just extraordinary. And so the most, let me say, stuck in the mud people who would have not been okay with virtual and digital and harnessing the opportunities that that brings have changed their minds and where there was a feeling that work from home or work flexibly was code for slacking I think all of that has shifted quite tremendously so actually the way we work what we think about how we work are quite fundamental changes. And then what I would say is also shifting in the workplace is your contract with the employer. And what I mean by that is companies like Deliveroo, and we won't get into a moral argument about whether their business model is right or wrong, and all the rest of it, but the rise of the gig economy. And the mindset that younger people are coming into the workforce with where they want to work to be able to sustain a lifestyle and life choices that they have rather than work being the be-all and end-all of things, which is, if I could say so, more kind of our generation rather than the generation that's coming into the workplace now. So again, the role that workplace plays in people's lives has shifted and therefore the contract that people are having with their employers has shifted. Therefore, what people expect from your employer is changing. And the final thing I'd say is sustainability and ESG and all of those factors aren't optional anymore. Every company, every employer needs to behave ethically, needs to think about their people, the community that they are in and serve as well as the planet, it's not an optional thing. And that is also changing the workplace. Sorry, a long winded answer, but quite a
0: few dimensions. No, an amazing answer. And actually, I wondered, Simon, you know, many of those things will resonate with us and with you in particular around how we've had to accelerate our workplace changes and also our sustainability mm. commitment. So how does all of this resonate with you?
1: Well, I think we have seen a permanent change to you know human behaviours and habits that will have you know significant consequences for not just the way businesses run, but what businesses need to do for people. the insurance products that are needed, the requirement to innovate and change whatever services and products that you're offering to your target audiences. So we are part of, you know, businesses and the way we operate are part of this big sea change in human habit and behavior. Sure, things are going to return to some element of normality. But through this devastating and scary and worrying time that we've all been going through, we've learned some new good habits that will stick, I think. And humans becoming more grounded, becoming more connected with in some ways, the world with their families d- devoting more time to each other will undoubtedly be a positive outcome. But, you know, I think for me, we've found in the way we've been supporting our community of people, we have over 3000 people throughout the world and growing fast. I think we hired 1000 people in in 2020. You know, we're finding new ways to communicate, new ways to collaborate, new ways to support each other. But we're also looking forward to getting back to some level of of normality and sharing a glass of wine or a beer in the <laughs> pub garden at some stage or other.
0: I think some of the things you've touched on Renilla, around, you know, where we work, how we work, the way we work, the acceleration and modernization of the workplace and, and the gig economy and indeed sustainability. What kind of things has that meant in practical terms in your business and in your role? So a lot of
2: things actually. So if I take just my team, I have a team of 160 people and they're kind of all over the country and I have responsibility for the full distribution funnel all the way from market engagement acquisition onboarding through to kind of retention and client engagement and all of these people were out there either talking to -to face-to-face primarily with distributors or with clients. And we've got something called a financial education program. So I had a bunch of people in my team who would physically pitch up at employers uh, like Oliver and deliver financial education to employees. And what we've had to do, not by choice, <laughs> obviously, is overnight digitize all interactions and engagement. And that has meant that productivity has gone up because suddenly I haven't got loads of people sitting on trains for hours or driving hours to meetings. So you can have more meetings. And interestingly, the feedback from the team has been, we are having more frequent, better quality engagement with our customers we have reached 45% more people through our financial education programme being digital because suddenly you're not pitching up at Oliver and 10 people turn up for a seminar. You've got 300 people logging in to listen to the same content. So the effectiveness of what we're doing has gone up significantly. Does that mean face-to-face as a channel... Is dead and buried? Absolutely not. Some of the assumptions we're making about the model that we should operate is, I'd say, roughly 75 25. So 75% of all interactions will continue to be virtual. 25% of interactions will need to be face to face because, let's be honest, you can't replace the touchy feeling yeah. in nature and the kind of human contact especially in situations like onboarding a new client or pitching for a new client where Mm. that face-to-face interaction just adds an extra unknowable percentage that's hard to quantify. So we are and are continuing to invest in digital tools, for example, to be able to support our shift from primarily face-to-face to primarily digital So some of the things you've touched on
0: has come up in a number of the podcasts and conversations uh, that we're having is exactly that point that actually the productivity and effectiveness of digital interactions in the business marketplace, as well as in the consumer marketplace, has substantially improved kind of reach engagement effectiveness. You've already mentioned the fact that COVID has accelerated the pace of change in many directions for many organisations. How do we bottle that so that when we're not in a pandemic and we don't have that imperative to have to change, how can businesses create the environment so that we're always looking towards future growth and future business models where we don't have to?
2: Gosh, I mean, if I had an answer to that, I would bottle it up and sell it for a lot of money as a consultant uh, (laughs) and write books about it, because it is one of the fundamental cultural challenges that any organisation has, particularly, I think, for established, successful organisations, right? If you are already at the top of the heap and you're growing, then where's the burning platform that's going to make you want to change right and so I always say to senior leaders at the that we should always try and avoid the blockbuster moment or the Kodak moment because actually when you're at the top of the heap is when you're at greatest risk of being entirely irrelevant because somebody else comes along that you haven't Seen who shifts the paradigm and you're left behind uh, completely. Um, but that's hard. That's really hard because if you're running a profitable business, your market is growing organically and you're winning, it's really hard to see the threat.
1: Mm. So,
2: Simon, you must have some thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, well, it's a lesson I actually learnt back in Avivo before Avivo was called Avivo when it was called Commercial Union where Amanda Blanc, actually, the current CEO of Aviva, and I were on the Global Executive Development Programme. And the things we were learning back then, it was a very successful business. It grew from something like a 3% market share in UK insurance to something like an 18% market share through a combination of organic growth and acquisitions, significant acquisitions of General Accident, and Norwich Union and, and others that formed Aviva. But um, one of the core lessons we learned was, something called market orientation, which is you've got to always keep your eyes on the market. You've got to always stay relevant to your customers' needs. You've always got to look for competitor differentiation, and you've always got to look for the operational capability that delivers on your promises to your customers. And this was, for me, this is the genesis of all good innovation, because it's not subservient to success. It basically enables you to constantly challenge your own perceptions and to disrupt your own success looking for how to stay relevant how to be different and how to deliver the operational capability into your business that you need to succeed but it's easier in smaller businesses than it is in very big big companies where there are lots of stakeholders but i think it's as ranella says it's a it's a cultural thing if the business has that running through its dna that concept of market orientation external orientation that all of its managers are looking to not be frightened of challenging your own success and looking at what is next. And you're always speaking about it. You're always thinking, you know, what is next? What is next? I think that is the thing that we should probably try and bottle and, uh, and sell to people for lots of money.
2: <laughs> One thing I would add to Simon's point is um, if you're working in a very large business, particularly if you're a FTSE-listed business like ours, there are also certain market dynamics that come into play where the way the FTSE is structured and the markets are structured they prioritize short-term growth over longer-term mm. return so you know, the other challenge that large organizations like Aviva have is thinking in 15-year time horizons about how is the world shaping, shifting, changing, and mm-hmm. how do we in the short term create enough capacity for longer term shifts in business model and innovation mm-hmm. at the same time we continue to manage our existing market for growth and profit and all that good stuff. And that trade-off and that balancing act is hard. It's really hard. I think it's perhaps easier in a not just a smaller business but a different ownership structure. I'm not saying the challenges aren't there, but they can be managed in a different way. And the final point I would make is, There are some companies who do that, who do that because the way their vertical sector operates is in that way. So a good example would be car companies, right? I mean, if you look at how much money they're putting into electric cars and all the rest of it, as well as energy companies, how much money is going into shifting their business models from getting all of their profit from a commodity that will soon a run out or be considered too dangerous for the environment, petrol and diesel and all the rest of it. You know, they're trying to make that shift quite successfully and bringing it back to insurance. You know, we're looking at what does the world where there are no drivers look like for motor insurance? Who has liability and how does that work through to... Actually, if you've got a very connected home, what does that mean for home insurance? How do you take data that you're suddenly getting from lots of different places to understand risks and underwrite risks much better? Through to if I look at the savings and retirement market, you know, you take aging, if everybody starts living to 101, <laughs> But people are still only working or expecting to work till 65. How do you balance the longevity, the complexity that comes with that longevity, that how long people are living, so how long people will be in retirement, with the practical realities of how long people will be working and saving to be able to afford that retirement? How do you structure products that are still relevant for a world that is changing? There's something I wanted to kind of
0: bring you back to that you talked about earlier, which is, you know, sustainable business and good business. And also that's probably relevant to the slightly longer term time horizons as well. How do you look at that from a kind of customer facing point of view? So, you know, in particular, maybe pension investments. So where you might be investing pension savings in order for your money to be doing good whilst you're saving for your retirement. What's your kind of view in that area?
2: It's not optional, (laughs) is what I would say. So we, of course, have quite significant ESG considerations in the way that we invest in most of our funds through to having specific funds that are heavily ESG linked to enable customers who want an entirely ethical portfolio. So all the way from how we structure our products through to actually who we are as an organisation, because as an employee, you don't have a say in who your pension provider is. It will be your employer who chooses who your workplace pension provider is. But that is a key criteria for decision-making from an employer perspective, but also a distributor advisor perspective. So they will look at the way your products are structured, through to who you are as a company. So they will look at what's Aviva's record when it comes to sustainability and actually are you a diverse and inclusive employer? What are you doing about the environment and climate change? I'm proud to say that we are actually a very good business. We're a fantastic employer. We do a lot around diversity and inclusion you know we've made significant commitments around net zero in terms of our investment approach uh, within the savings and retirement business, through to actually being an active participant through kind of shareholder action and making sure that the companies that we invest in have the right kind of governance approach. Uh, we have partnership with British Red Cross, etc., etc. We've got a community fund that you know, gives away millions of pounds a year all voted for at a local community level by employees. So there's a lot at lots of different levels that I think you need to do to be able to be credible with your sustainable story. You
0: mentioned something around inclusion and diversity. So you, and I know we've spoken about this before, you must have had some interesting challenges being both a woman and a woman of colour within the insurance industry and building your career in that industry talk to me about both the opportunity and the challenges that you faced in that
2: space it's interesting isn't it I never noticed my difference when I was working in the charity sector because it is a very diverse sector And in a lot of instances, you know, the organisations you work for, the people who come and work for that organisation really believe in that cause. So if you're working for a disability charity, you'll have colleagues who will have that disability, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll be interacting with people who've got that particular issue or are close to that issue. And then I moved into kind of financial services. And I remember going to a conference, a big conference for the first time Gosh, this must have been nearly eight, ten years ago. And we sat down for the main plenary kind of intro bit. And I looked around the room and there must have been 500 odd people there. I was one of a handful, if that, women. And I was the only minority ethnic woman in the audience. And... I'm trying to think, even men, I don't think I remember any minority ethnic men, actually. So they were all mostly male, if not predominantly 99% male. They were all white. They were all mostly of a certain age. And I felt a bit like an alien sitting in that room going, this is interesting, (laughs) And that was the first time I kind of had to kind of look in the mirror and go, you're very different. I'm very different in the way I think, in the way I look. And that brings with it challenges because I speak a different language to most people and I bring a different perspective. So it's not been easy. And I feel like I have to work that much harder to get to where I want to get to that perhaps somebody
0: who looks different to me. When we last spoke about this, you talked about the fact that you feel it's provided opportunity for you to change that narrative and to get other voices heard at the table, however difficult that might have been at times. Do you...
2: Do Do I believe it's given me opportunity? I'm, I'm not sure I'd frame it that way because I don't feel that me being female and brown has in any way played to an advantage uh, in terms of me getting a role or progressing in my career at all at all yeah so I would describe it as if I was in a race I'm a hundred paces behind most of the people who are on the starting blocks right so I have to run harder faster to yeah. get to the same place but I see it as a privilege so I think our earlier conversation what I was referencing is I feel a deep sense of responsibility to, I guess, be a role model and to bring those issues to light. And I remember joining Aviva, and I think in the second week, I got two or three emails from different people in the business saying, oh, my God, it is so amazing to have a female Indian director at Aviva. We've never had one before. So, you know, almost thank you for choosing to come to work at Aviva, because suddenly these women who are starting off their careers or halfway through their careers or wherever they are, had somebody to aspire to, to look up to, because you always think, actually, if you don't see somebody who looks like you in positions that you aspire to, you think you can't get there. So that's why I feel a sense of responsibility and I feel quite privileged to be where I am. Amazing. I know this is a subject close to your heart, Simon,
0: and something that you're really spearheading at our organisation. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, the world's changing, but it's not changing anywhere near fast enough. And I think as leaders, we have to be proactive and decisive in our ability to really build inclusive cultures because you know you can hire diverse people but if they don't feel at home they don't feel inspired and supported and really just part of the community and the organization then they're not going to stay so i think inclusion is really really important for us as leaders to work on but also then to take the practical steps to be proactive in making diversity happen because we are better businesses for it. You know, we're better people for it. We're better communities for it. And we will deliver better results as a consequence of having an inclusive and diverse and equitable business and business culture.
0: Manila, you know, thank you so much for all your insights and sharing your experience. If you were to kind of sum up your top three priorities or top three hints and tips for the future, where would you put those? What would you say are your top three kind of growth strategies or priorities for this year?
2: For the immediate term, I think the world is still going through quite a lot of uncertainty. So the priorities for me in the short term are to maintain and build the resilience in my team and you know the wider organisation, because I think people mentally, physically, emotionally have been stretched really hard and thin, and they need to continue that. So that resilience piece is really, really critical. Secondly, you know, we've got a kind of hopefully a once in a lifetime chance of really leveraging and harnessing the phenomenal shift in mindset and behaviour when it comes to digital. So continue to accelerate the investment that we've already started to make and leverage that shift in behaviour both in terms of the workforce, but also the customers and advisors that we interact with. And thirdly, actually really important is prepare for the transition, whatever that looks like, because let's not all forget that by the time we're let out of this home prison, whatever you want to call it, we will have forgotten. (laughs) You know, we will have been so used to living life in a particular way. I mean, talking from a personal perspective, you know, I used to take the tube every day, and I'm kind of going, well, I I might be okay with maybe I should, you know, go back to cycling to work every day. And "Mm, I don't know, gosh, you know, what's the world going to look like? And so there will be The excitement of going to the pub and giving your friends a hug. God, when was the last time we did that? But at a more fundamental level, being able to manage that transition for your people is going to be critically important. Longer term, I think, you know, sustainability as an issue isn't going away. We really need to think about how businesses become not just businesses for profit, but businesses with a purpose that is, you know, about something more that gives back to the world in a meaningful way and you know the the world of work is changing i think there's some fundamental shifts coming that we'll need to adapt to
0: amazing thank you so much
1: it's been fantastic thank you and really enlightening as well and some very thought provoking conversation that we've had thank you
2: i appreciate you asking me
0: to share my ramblings (laughs) So thank you so much for joining us on Oliver's Growth Series podcast. I look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oliver's Growth 2021 series. We'd love to hear your opinions or pass on any questions to our guests. Please reach out to us via our LinkedIn page at Oliver. Alternatively, you can read more about our work or contact us via our website, Oliver.agency. We hope you can join us next time.